Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. Today's discussion is with John Keeley, who contacted me about his interest in re-examining how he would teach Aikido if he started a group from the ground up. This would include scrutinizing absolutely everything and how to go about doing it in a better way. It's difficult to pick a simple name for the episode, so for lack of a better term, I have picked the name Aikido Renaissance, which is a revival or rebirth. You've probably noticed that episodes have not been coming out as frequently as they have in the past. This is from a combination of things, but I still love putting this material out for all of you. I wish there were more hours in a day. I'm still adding videos every week to the Spirit Aikido online program, which now has over 350 videos. In the latest series, I covered an initial response which is useful for a wide variety of attacks. The purpose is to eliminate the confusion over how to respond by making the decision process simple and fast. I show a number of different endings and options to train and experiment with, all of which are simple and high percentage. I encourage you to check it out. My profound thanks to those who have subscribed to the program and those who have contributed to the PayPal tip jar. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Well, hello and welcome to Modern Aikido's podcast. This episode has got me very excited um, to discuss, and we're going to be talking about, uh, we have a hard time naming this one, but we're looking at something like uh, uh, shaking the tree of Aikido. We're going to be looking at how we train rebuilding the way that uh, a dojo operates, how we train our students, how we attract students, everything about starting a, a group or about reimagining or redesigning how we do what we do from an instructor standpoint, from how the art develops standpoint. Um, John, would, uh, would that be a good way of describing it? By the way, this is John Keeley. I, I apologize for not introducing you sooner. Um, contacted me a little bit ago. I'll let him tell his background story. I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, this is the kind of guy that I want to get on the mat and train with and and uh, and talk with because he's just got such a great background and um, such a great attitude and perspective. So welcome, John. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, there, here, wherever we are. <laughs> in in the ether world. Yes. Um, yeah, so yeah, thanks for having me on. Just uh, give you a little bit about my background. I, I, I've been involved in the martial arts since about the age of four, which is a hell of a long time. So um, and I have been through quite a few. I, I, I was um, I was once dubbed a martial tart. Um, <laughs> my main thrusts have been uh, started with judo, went into traditional Japanese jujitsu, um, and then into Aikido. And then I joined the police in the UK, um, and because of because of my martial art background, they pretty much automatically made me a what they call an officer safety trainer. So I've been training police officers. Um, did that for about twenty years. Kind of slipped off the wagon a bit, and, and ended up training in Krav Maga in Israel um, and and running Krav Maga sessions in this country um, and, and have floated back to Aikido. So I've spent probably about the best part of 20 years um, training police um, and another 10 years on top of that training private security um, all, all around the world um, in some, uh, some interesting places like Libya, um, which, which is very interesting. Um, 
and, and what, what I've now done, I, I discovered your podcast, and I have to say a massive thank you to you and, and to the guys on your podcast who, who have inspired me. Um, you, know, you are you are definitely influencers, a lot of you, um, and, and you have some absolute legends on there. You know, um, some of the people you have on are, are just so subject matter experts. They are they are brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and it's inspired me to get off my ass and actually do what has been rattling around in my head for for, for years, uh, and that is the the Aikido we train in the dojo um, doesn't transpose to the real world. And having had a massive amount of exposure to actual real-world violence, yeah, um, yeah, I was on counter-terrorist units, so I've gone right up to a very, very high high level of, of extreme violence. Um, and I've also worked the doors, um, so I've seen, you know, I've seen all the worst things the uh, us human beings can do to one another. Um, uh, and the Aikido that I use, because when you go when you go into violence as a police officer or, or as a security operator um, you go in with a level of responsibility okay um, um what i liked about aikido was that this, this is a scalable skill okay a punch in the face is a punch in the face it doesn't really scale up or down uh, certain aikido techniques that they're completely scalable because you still have a duty of care for this drunk violent person that you're dealing with or whoever it is you're dealing with you should have a duty of care for them um and throughout my 30 years law enforcement security i would say 90 percent of my responses to a, a a violent situation has been to use the aikido techniques which, which is which, which proves they work in the real world scenario they do work but they have to be applied um correctly so i'm looking to formulate, um, and, I, and I'm going to throw myself out there to the world, there will be people who are aghast, people who will tag not only me, but you as well, Tristan, as heretics. Yes? Oh, that's already been done. That that box has been checked a long time ago. <laughs> Our effigies will be burnt. Um, but but I, I'm, I'm looking to... I have an idea in my head and what I'm actually doing at the moment, and, and I have to say the podcast has been really helpful with this, is is like Michelangelo's David, he chipped away the bits of the granite that weren't David in his mind. And I'm looking to chip away the bits of Aikido that in my head are not what I want Aikido to be. Mm -hmm. Now, but don't get me wrong, if, if people want to go and train the the what, the, what they now call it, the traditional style of Aikido, that's great. Yeah, I like the word contemporary. Contemporary. The contemporary keto, yeah. But but if they wish to go, you know, people should be able to do what they want. And what I want to do is offer another service that is a an Aikido that is personal safety and also third-party protection so that you have the ability to look after yourself and anybody else you're with um, mm -hmm. using the Aikido techniques and using the spirit of Aikido, which I think still needs to go through the spirit but the, the training side of things i think there needs to be the option to train for for reality um and i hate the phrase reality-based martial arts because because um yeah as we spoke about <laughs> i have taught medieval sword fighting with lightsabers so i have done the proper fantasy martial arts <laughs> I've done it, so i can but I, I don't like the phrase reality because in theory all 
they're all reality and you know, unless you're doing it on a vr headset so mm -hmm. that's where i'm going and and yes you and stephen and matt duncan and oh um ellis ellis, ellis yep. absolute genius absolute absolutely yeah just phenomenal um mm -hmm. a lot of stuff rattling around in that head of his sometimes he he, he, he I, I can't keep up with him. I'm not bright enough. Sorry. Sorry, Alice. You, you, you I, I have the same the same thing. I love hearing what he has to say. And it's it's funny. He'll often say, like, do people get bored with me? Like, why would you want to have me back on? Like, they're, we're far from bored. Yeah. But, but all, all of you guys have kind of, um, yeah, yeah, lightened. You know, put, put the fire under me, if you like, to actually hmm. get me out there and do it. Well, hence the fact I'm here. And hence the fact I, I reached out to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, just to let everybody know when when john and i we had a, a talk last week where we just sort of got to know each other a bit and and sort of geeked out on our on our love for aikido and where we'd like to see it go uh and it went for a long long time uh john's background could keep us here for a half an hour before we actually get started on this discussion so at points where he's got some great relevant background we're going to come back to it a little bit and and have him elaborate but um i want to say that that of the the sources that I've always looked for, and I, I very much have a great respect for Bruce Lee when he looked at his martial art this way. He did. He left no stone unturned. He looked at every other art that he could get his hands on, from boxing and wrestling to fencing and just anything he could to pick out what is useful from this art. Um, I likewise looked around at, at martial arts and sports all kinds of things to find out okay what is what is each particular art has that's useful and then how do i sort through it and what do i gather and i kind of came across um uh it was ian abernathy's uh martial arts map which reflected exactly what i had noticed about there there's like three realms of martial arts that a martial artist tends to be from one is the sport this would be wrestlers kickboxers um you know those who get into a ring and they go full tilt on each other under some kind of a rule set mm -hmm. then there are the theoretical martial artists and that's most of those that of us that train in a dojo we tend to tend to hyper specialize on technical performance and sometimes to the detriment of losing sight of things that aren't in our direct focus that we don't work on um and it, and then the third one, which uh, I just used to call crazy town, which is full on reality. Your your life is on the line, mm -hmm. art, and the because obviously with anything as you as I looked at it starting my dojo and how do I run it and how do I teach my students since I'd been coaching fighters for a long time, I always had in mind okay what do I need my student skills to be capable of doing what am i creating what am i trying to have them be into what what is a success define what what what, what would i be as a successful trainer or a coach and what do i what is their success that they're striving for because if that's not there all i'm doing is wasting time my time and their time and what i found coming back to these three realms of martial arts is that if i am looking to have my students be capable of self-defense in a real-world environment, there's only limited uh, uh, stuff from the sport realm which is useful. 
There's only limited uh, stuff from the theoretical martial arts realm, which is useful. Although, the, uh, and we'll get a bit into the credibility thing, even though there are very high ranked people that are very prestigious, longtime martial artists from the theoretical realm, there's champions of sport that have their credibility with their trophies and their, and their awards. That third realm is where I was the most fascinated. The people that have made their martial art work in a real live environment with no rules, no time limits, no limitations by their opponents at all. They could be armed. They could be multiple opponents. That is the realm to me that seemed to have the best fit for what I was looking for. Um, alongside of exactly what John talked about, that duty to care. And absolutely, police officers have it, security professionals have it. It's also something that the average citizen, whether they have a job that exposes them to, to violence or not, needs to have. Um, and that could be you know, a, a father or a mother who wants to protect themselves or their family without going to jail for the rest of their life because they mm -hmm. hurt somebody unnecessarily because that's a threat to their safety as well. The fact that's that they right. could be removed from their family or they could be in jail. So I see that that, that parallel is there. And this is why I'm, I'm so drawn to those who have, have real world experience with such violence and how it has changed their focus from maybe they had a sport background or maybe they had a theoretical martial arts background. What all of those people say that I've talked to is that for them, Aikido, just like John just said, Aikido is what they have found works extraordinarily well to fulfill not only their requirement for safety and self-protection, but also to make sure that they don't do use excessive force or violence and either end somebody's life or injure them severely or wind up in prison. Yeah. Um, and so that to me is, a, that's my personal focus, what I've been fascinated with. Um, would you say that your, your, your perspective kind of fits along there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm um, uh, in, in the UK, a court expert witness in, in use of force. So mm -hmm. I, I will go to court and, and use of force falls into two categories. Firstly, it's, it's the, the legislation. What mm -hmm. is use of force uh, and we have we have three pieces of, of legislation that cover use of force for for everybody not just um there's a whole load for police and customs and immigration they will have their own bits mm -hmm. but uh, for, for three pieces that cover everybody um but also the psychology and physiology um of of what's going on in that highly stressful situation um and, and yeah over the years i'm fortunate to have enough training to actually understand that whole fight or flight sure. mess. It's um, uh, and, and a word I've nicked from you and I've actually started using it in the security training of the hoplology. Uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant word. Um, I love it too. In fact, that's one of the ones we talked about, but nobody knows what it is. <laughs> but well, for those who may, may wonder, hoplology is the science and study of human combative behavior like everything, whether it's, and it's not so much like missiles and tanks and ships as much as hand-to-hand -hand combat, hand-to-hand -hand weaponry, um, yeah. going back to ancient ages. I, I want to find out how you can get a doctorate in hoplology, because I think that, that's going to be great. Um, but the, the, the whole thing is a study, it's a study in duality, because you have fight, flight, you have rational mm -hmm. brain, emotional brain, with, yeah, monkey and lizard brain, which I think is a bit cruel for monkeys and lizards. <laughs> So I'm fairly sure a lizard can be emotional. Um, yeah. You know, um, and, 
Yeah, go ahead. Before we go on, I also want to say that my analysis of the sport arts and of the theoretical, they do have their strengths. As a sport, as a longtime sport fighter, I will tell you that there is there is sport fight psychology. There is the, a mind game that goes on between a, an opponent, you and your opponent within there. And you won't teach a successful competitor unless you can get them to understand how to navigate that mind game and do it really well. But it's different from the psychology that you're talking about. And this is the difference that I'm speaking yeah. of when I talk about that real world violence. It has to include the psychology of what you're talking about, of reading you know, aggressive body language, things like that. Those are things a sport fighter does not need to do. So yeah. that's, I wanted to jump in with that as we the, go on. Uh, certainly, I, I have um, dealt with a lot of very, very capable sport fighters mm -hmm. out there on, in the pavement arena, as, as some people would like to call it. Sure. Um, and they are very, very capable. Yeah, let's, mm -hmm. let's not get this wrong. The sport fighters are, are fighters. They, mm -hmm. um, and um, certainly when I was working, um, I, I used to run door teams mm -hmm. down the coast in Brighton here. Which is an absolute party town. There, are, you know, you're looking at a town that has 366 liquor licenses within a mile of the station. It is an absolute party town. Um, mm. um, yeah, and we had a um, an MMA fighter who, who basically knocked out three doormen before mm. before a couple of us crept up quietly behind him, jumped on him, and choked him out. But um, um, <laughs> Nobody ever wins a fair fight, do they? That's <laughs> um, right. So, so there are, you know, the, the, the sport fighting realm uh, does produce some very, very capable, tough mm -hmm. people. Absolutely. Sport and they're usually notable athletes, uh, yeah. notable athletic ability, which is not to be overstated. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but, but what, what most most sort of trained fighters, they have that great, that great responsibility that comes with it, mm -hmm. that, like Spider-Man. Um, they, they, you know, and, and so they're not likely to, to be involved. The, I'm probably getting, the, getting this wrong. I'm, I'm getting this um, third, fourth, fifth hand. But only 1% of people are actually trained mm -hmm. in martial arts. And of that 1%, only 1% of that are any good. The rest of them are the people that did, you know, oh, I did three years of judo when I was five sort of thing. Right. So um, so we, we've got a very, very small framework of trained people that we're actually likely to come up against. And if we are going to come up against, there's a very uh, you know, another small fraction of that are actually going to be aggressive towards us. Mm -hmm. you've, you've been in the martial art world for, for a very long time, and so have I, and they're the nicest people on the planet. Absolutely. Across the board, you know, mm -hmm. some of my you know, dearest friends are, are people who I've trained with in martial arts. The, um, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the people who you meet who you haven't seen for years, and it's like you've you only saw them last week. It, uh, right. So we've got a very very small framework of of capable opponents out there. Very small. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so 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 you have that 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 whole. Oh, th this will never work against a trained fighter. Well, the chances of, of coming up against a trained fighter are very, very slim. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of Aikido is it doesn't follow a set of rules like sport fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I liked about it. It's, um, but in my mind, certainly going back to <laughs> 30 years ago, my first Aikido class, um, 
to me, it was everything a martial art should be. Have, have, bear in mind, I've been through judo and jujitsu. Aikido seemed to be everything that a martial art should be because it had that that that's still got that spiritual side, which I don't want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And not, I'm not looking at chopping that out. I want the spiritual side. I want the the quiet chain cane. Right. Yeah, <laughs> the strong philosophy aspect is, I, I think, invaluable. And it's not to say other arts don't have their own philosophies as well. They do. Um, but I agree with you. It's, it, it is a, it is te- uh, tempered. It is a, it, to me, the philosophy is what keeps, and even the Greeks talked about this back in, in Plato's time of, it is the philosophy that keeps the, the fighter from becoming a brute. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, uh, and, and certainly, uh, oh, very, yeah, I've, I've been involved in quite a lot of violent altercations and, and, uh, the yeah the, the train fighters are very very few and far between um and if if they go aggressive like like the the, the mma fighter in in brighton um drinking drugs mm-hmm. um when we met him when he wasn't on drinking drugs nicest guy again lovely lovely guy so mm-hmm. so we've got we've got that issue to deal with um so so yeah so my my idea is to chop away lots of bits and what what I want left is a a good self and third party protection system that can be trained in the spirit of Aikido, but maybe in the style of Krav Maga. So we're still. I don't see Krav Maga as a martial art. I see Krav Maga as a um, a quick fix um, personal survival system. It will enable you to survive a violent street altercation without due regard to anybody else um, um i refer to it as bash crash and dash mm-hmm. which is actually what it, what it is it was it was designed to be learned quite quickly and easily remembered um and easily replicated so it mm-hmm. kind of be, it does that but there's not there's not much art to it should we say <laughs> you know one of the things um that and i and i, I examined some krava as well because you know back 20 years ago, it was sort of the new, new thing. And it was a, it was, had its fad day. Um, what, what I realized was not very applicable was that it was designed as a military art. It was military combatives. And you could look at the same thing back to world war two combatives or anything you teach a soldier, there is zero regard for the other person. And the only thing that matters really is killing the other person as quickly as possible. And to me, that did not fit the civilian environment that I'm looking to train myself and my students for, um, because that will get somebody in a world of trouble very, very quickly if they're good at it. Now, I'll give Krav Maga its points for having, like Bruce Lee, went through and picked out what it, what it found useful for many arts. It did collect um, a very good uh, assembly of effective methods and techniques most were based seemingly based on pretty much expressing 100 intensity in an explosive fashion um and not overwhelming the curriculum i like that part it was not a huge library it was we needed to have somebody trained to be effective and to stay alive and kill as quickly as possible and we're going to condense this into a, a very sensible easy to easy to teach form i like that part um, what, where I've seen Krav Maga evolve to was it, it now wanted to evolve and it is evolving into trying to be a civilian art 
by saying, well, we, we want to cause the minimum amount of damage possible to, to achieve our safety. Is that a square peg into a round hole? Maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't been watching exactly how their art has fulfilled that, that attempt to claim to be good for civilians to use when they could be charged with using excessive violence. Um, but that's kind of my, my take on the, on, on Krav Maga and, and what, what usefulness it has. Yeah. I, I treat it like a first aid course. You, sure. you go and do the course and then you know it, and then you go away and maybe three or four years later, you come back and do a, a couple of days refresher and go, Oh yeah, got mm -hmm. it again. Off you go. Uh, and that's kind of what it is. And it should be treated like a first aid course because mm -hmm. it's stuff you learn that you hope you never have to use. You know, and I, and I would put also the, the, and because since then, now we're at another, we seem to be at another evolution where combatives are becoming a big thing again. And there's some really great stuff out there uh, that I have a, a wide respect for. I've even trained myself in a com in combatives form because there is a, there may be a time and place where releasing 100% intensity and going absolute crash and bash, you might have to do that. It, it might come to that, that that's what is needed for your survival. So I'm not discounting it, but having that be your entire training focus just to be a beast and unleash it i equate that to having a firearm i know you guys in the uk don't have many over there but here in the us uh carrying a, a, a pistol or a gun uh is a fairly common thing uh and most of the people within that realm seem to think it is the one and only solution they will ever need and that could not be farther from the truth um and it's a dangerous myth to embrace when you don't you don't have anything else um, and, and so I, I view it, the combative stuff kind of the same way, great material, but that's kind of only suits a small percentage of engagements where you are justified in, in, you know, beating somebody to a pulp, you know, very, very quickly. I mean, it makes for impressive YouTube videos to see what yeah, those yeah. guys do, but, but applying it for real, you know, in a, from a sensible civilized person standpoint is not comprehensive <laughs> if you look at the, the the british police firearms tactics and it's probably pretty much the same with with your swat guys um mm -hmm. you would go in very very aggressive very loud very big blah, 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 take control of the person mm -hmm. and then calm down right you know i mean i i've been been on firearm teams where we, we've arrested someone once we got control of them and searched them we've taken the cuffs off We've sat mm -hmm. them down, dusted them down, and checked if you've got any injuries, and so, and that's what Aikido gives you. It gives you that ability to do be very strong, and then mm -hmm. just just bring it down at the end. I've got control of him. I don't have to keep beating him. I yeah. You know, um, and, and and Krav Maga is a hammer, and if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. where, whereas Aikido, like, like yeah, you know, the beauty of it is this scalable response. Mm -hmm. um, because not everybody is a nail. Some, you know, some are. They have very, very, very different right. attributes. So having something that you can, you know, um, prime example, a Rimanagi. Yes, mm -hmm. you can smash someone into the planet very mm -hmm. hard. Yeah, um, yep. and I think that's a lethal technique for sure. Yeah, you you can hit someone a lot harder with the planet than you can with a fist, mm -hmm. um, which, which is brilliant. Um, or you can just take them down gently. The same technique 
that is just completely scalable. Mm -hmm. You don't have to smash them into the floor. You can roll them down to the floor and take control of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so that's what I'm looking at. And I'm looking at giving people um, that, that scalable response. But what I'm looking to do, and, and this is where, and, and I'm, I'm going to throw myself open to the world. So if anybody wants to, to chip in and, and help me, um, um, with, not with guidance, just, just with some ideas, really. And, and certainly I've picked mm -hmm. up a load off, off of your podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. I want to deliver, and I think I said this a minute ago, I want to deliver Aikido training with a Krav Maga flavour. So we are training with that that intensity. The, the the attacks will be real attacks, real world mm -hmm. attacks. Obviously, you start slow, but mm -hmm. but um, yeah. In, in my experience, I don't think I've seen anybody with a Shomanuchi Yokomanu. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's funny on that. Again, I I'm very much on the same page. In fact, I've pretty much eliminated both of those attacks from my teaching uh, curriculum part. Uh, I start with roundhouses, um, and about a year ago, somebody had found a, a real-world knife attack that had somebody coming in and actually successfully stabbed the target in the top of the chest, and immediately it was, oh, look, here's the Shomenuchi attack that everybody says doesn't happen anywhere else, and now we have a video of it, and it was it was kind of funny to see it. And it really drove home to me the point of you can't say never, but no, no. it's really just of all of the fight footage and fights that I've seen in videos and descriptions I've heard from people that have seen a lot more than I have, they will just say that overhead attack is extraordinarily rare. You might see it, but it's not, it's not the, you know, shouldn't be yeah. the backbone of your, of your training stuff. And for the Yokomen, one thing I noticed when I would train fighters back in the day, one of the things that I would always ask is, how do I spot an attack coming? What should I be looking for? And when I looked at, at the typical Yokomanuchi, which comes up by the head to signal, what, what happens is if you do this often enough, your eye starts looking for that hand to pop up. So that's the signal for, okay, now I'm going to start my attack. Well, if you're starting with a raw beginner who doesn't know how to watch a body, this is helpful. However, when somebody goes to load, it's the shoulder that you're watching for, not the hand. So if yeah. they drop the hand down and you don't see it and you're used to seeing it, but the shoulder locks back or rocks back and now the now that that punch comes firing in and they, but they didn't see it because they're used to looking at the wrong thing. To me, that was a, a, a training deficiency. So mm -hmm. by having practicing with haymakers and and uh, and attacks where look at the shoulder and tell the student if that shoulder swivels back it's a smaller motion but you'll see it and you'll see it right away and you know that something's coming from that side and you don't know necessarily if it's high or low but that's what you should be looking for um the body will tell you but if only if you're looking in the right spot yeah the um the, yeah the haymaker the, the the big swinging punch is certainly in the uk the most common um attack it is there, here too. Yeah, there, there is. You go to um, uh, accident and emergency room on a Friday, Saturday night. It's full of guys holding the side of their face. You go, I didn't <laughs> see it coming. You go, well, yes, you did. You just didn't know what it was. Right. Recognize. And if, it's, if your training reflects what you should be watching for, 
then you're going to have a much better chance of dealing with it effectively than if you don't. I, I like to call that immersion training, and, and uh, mm -hmm. I think we spoke about this b before. The um, uh, how many how many times has someone thrown a punch at, at you over the years? You, you've got to be getting into the millions. Yeah, your brain picks it up way before your frontal lobes pick it up. You you yep. you will see it in the eyes rather than the shoulder. You you'll mm -hmm. you'll see that, and, and yep. that is because you've immersed yourself in that world. People mm -hmm. have been throwing punches at you for years. You are so averse to it, mm -hmm. which is why you can actually get in and control that first move. Um, on top of that, you have, and I love this phrase, primal precognitive flinch responses. These mm -hmm. are built into you. You, you. If any of your relatives didn't have any flinch responses, you wouldn't be alive today. <laughs> it's, it's part of, of our psyche. We, we have these flinch responses. These are precognitive actions. They happen without us thinking about it. If you have a perceived threat stimulus, you will throw your hands up. Yes. Mm -hmm. You may even go forward to meet it if it's a tactical flinch. Yeah. You mm -hmm. may go completely fetal, cover up. These are designed to protect yourselves. This is an animalistic response to a threat stimulus. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, some martial arts train that out of people. Don't yep. do that, do that. But this is slower. This is this requires now a level of thought, a level of conscious effort to be able to do mm -hmm. it. But why are we training out people? Why are we not? And, and it's very difficult to, in a dojo, to train a flinch response because you're simulating a flinch. The only way to do it properly is to properly scare people and actually get them, get them to to flinch up but if you train a flinch response then you are used to being in it um so if you look at flinch responses good old-fashioned blocks not you know the ancient art of not being hit in the head mm -hmm. um, um and then some hand deflections you're pretty much untouchable mm -hmm. really some will get through without mm -hmm. a doubt yeah because you've, you've always got a chuck human error in there Mm -hmm. so, so we'll get through but that is a very very good basis to start building um the trained response on top of if that makes sense yep absolutely um, it's all built into you so, so yeah um you turn up um tony blower uh yep. spear mm -hmm. uh, and he trains in one of the flinch responses mm -hmm. um, defense lab which used to be casey fighting method mm -hmm. um Andy Norman, great guy, trained Batman. I, I cannot go any better than, than that. You know, no matter how good a martial arts instructor you are, Andy Norman trained Batman. You go, oh, okay, give up. Yeah. Are you talking uh, Christian Bale in the in yeah. the Return of yeah. Darkness? You know, it's funny because I I heard as that move before that movie was coming out that they had gotten this really cool art for Batman to have that would make sense for what that character would do, and I was. Yeah absolutely thrilled i was like i could not wait to see that movie and then when it came out it was filmed so dark it yeah. just, there, you couldn't see any of it <laughs> it was a disappointment because i had to imagine what it was now that's effective storytelling because when you don't paint a complete picture the mind fills it all in but yeah. as a martial artist i wanted to see what this thing what this was and was sadly it didn't translate onto film very well so uh, yeah andy norman had had a, a brilliant idea years and years mm -hmm. ago um and um he he started casey fighting method uh, and i can't i can't remember the, 
that still runs. They're, they're kind of separated. And we have Defence Lab. Uh, and Andy's idea came about from the, the nightclubs in the north of England, which when a fight starts, everybody starts fighting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like your, your good old Western bar and brawl. And Andy's idea was, how do I get from one, how do I get across the dance floor without being hit by someone? So he developed these shapes. The head covers, yep. Cover all your knockout points. And he thought, hang on, that's a weapon. If I step yep. forward, I can mm -hmm. now get people out of the way just by changing shapes. So, and it's really, really clever because this is your primal flinch. Yep. So he's building, on, again, this is building on top of what your brain and your body and your your primal self already knows so and and this would be one of those things where you know a sport fighter would say well that's great but it leaves your body open well sport fighters will pick targets of opportunity in real fights 90 percent of blows are to the head because people want to hit you in the head so but, i that's i love head covers absolutely adore them and when, when someone is angry with you um yep. which, which generally is, is what happens in a fight they could be angry with you for all manner of ridiculous things mm -hmm. um they're, they're angry with your face exactly so yep. you. they're not they're not going to be angry with your knee that it just doesn't happen all their aggression is focused on on your face and that's mm -hmm. where they're looking and that's where all the strike you might get the occasional kick yep. to the to the thigh, someone who's watched too many Van Damme films, or someone who's who tries to box if they watch too many Rocky films, and this is where most people get their their fighting skills from. Mm -hmm. It's watching far far too many movies. Sure, and it's obvious who you and I watched as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I am one of the few that didn't uh, believe it or not, but um, <laughs> but it certainly yeah that had its own thing. And actually this is, this comes, brings us kind of the next thing that I really wanted to, to talk about in here, which was, all right. So establishing it, if you were looking at starting your, a dojo or, or reimagining your, your own art or dojo, a real big thing is the credibility part and sport fighters get their credibility from championships, from medals, from trophies. Uh, people admire and want to learn from the best. And the guy that wins the tournament, he's the baddest on the you know out there he's he's the one that people want to want to learn from um from a the lineage is the other part of the the, the credibility side people want to see certificates of rank they want to see you know high level black belts they want to see um people instructors that have many black belts and a lot of different arts the one about this one that's always bothered me is is the number of people that i've run into that have got the lineage and the and the certificates out the yin yang, but can't really get their way out of a wet paper bag. Um, just because some guy gives you a certificate or or puts a belt on you or whatever, or gives you a patch, it really doesn't mean anything. It only means something to people who don't understand how easy it is to get that stuff. Yeah. And you know, when I I remember years ago, I actually had a guy who said, you know, I'll make you whatever rank you want. Uh, you know, in Aikido, because he was high enough rank to actually promote me to, you know, seventh, eighth Don. Yeah. And, um, but he, and he would do this without us even being in, ever in the same room. He made this offer and just on what he'd heard me talk about. And, you know, I, I went back to him and just said, what good would it be? You know, what, what meaning would it have if you've never been on a mat with me and been able to attest to my skill? You know, so I, I mean, it was, it seemed pointless to me. However, 
and this is uh, this I think is very relevant is I've had people that have come like during friendship seminars and, and whatnot who've said, you know, I never really thought much of Aikido or what I knew of it. But now that I've trained with you, I under I have a got a, I've got a high respect for the art. Like I didn't think it was capable of doing what what I've seen you do with it to me. And these are other, you know, black belt yeah. and higher level martial artists. Um, not, not not to say to blow my own horn, but I've run across a lot of people, especially more experienced martial artists that will say the same thing. They'll say, I respect Aikido because I've run into somebody that really knows what they're doing with it. Um, and it has impressed me. Yeah. Now that's harder to market than to make a YouTube channel that, you know, the, of buffoonery that to say, well, I'm a you know ninth level black belt or eighth level black belt or whatever in, in Aikido, and I can do this, and that stuff doesn't matter. That to me, that has no credibility. It's the on the mat and showing somebody yeah. what it's what it's capable of doing. That's where the credibility is. But that level of credibility does not is not reflected in rank, certificates, yeah. trophies, uh, medals that sort of stuff. And I, and I, the one thing I will come to, to, to hopefully shake the tree of the, of the rank thing, uh, was a, a quote by Napoleon. He said, a man will fight long and hard for a little piece of ribbon, little piece of colored ribbon. And yeah. that to me encapsulates the problem of rank in, especially Udancha rank, uh, within the martial arts. It makes people chase this little bit of bait to get to do the minimum they need to do to get it and oftentimes to keep paying tuition and that's the actual what's really happening not so much that they build their skills and that that's to me a huge problem yeah well we 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 suffer quite badly in the uk and i'm, I'm sure you do do over there mm -hmm. in the states with um no regulations no uh, in, in the martial art world you can you could literally start your own martial art tomorrow, promote mm -hmm. yourself to, to 150th Dan, um, you know, minor deity that is, um, and, and start teaching. Uh, from, uh, and there are you know, insurance companies out there who will, who will take you on and you'll be insured to teach. Mm -hmm. and, and the qualifications are dubious at best. There are the, um, certain organizations in the UK that have actually invented belt colors so we actually have new belt colors just so that they can charge for another grading and, uh, and it's, it's kind, of, yeah. kind of lost its way. The um, I, I've always said proof's in the pudding, uh, you know. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, the, the Krav Maga world, there's three I can think of, and I won't name them for legal reasons, um, but the uh, they're credentials their background they are uh, i was special forces i was this i was that mm -hmm. um turned out to be rubbish turned out to be absolute mm -hmm. bullshit and that damaged their reputation but at the end at the end of the day all of them were actually doing some really good stuff mm -hmm. but they ruined it by trying by by pretending to be something that they're not sure uh, and, and that, yeah, that credibility of the whole art and you go well actually if you look at what they're doing the, the you know the, the pudding if you like is really mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. but they messed it up so um yeah i um i, I have some issues with yeah you, you can now, be really really good at rubbish yeah. <laughs> this is true <laughs> and you know and that's the thing of the, those three realms we talked about the the sport realm they have their credibility which is tournament wins 
you have the, the traditional martial arts uh, or the theoretical martial arts that have their credibility, which is usually lineage and, and certificate granted rank. And then you have the real world stuff. There's no credibility no. badges that, that come from there. Now, I'm working with a, with a colleague and have for 15 years now. And his, his big boast, and he's actually actively avoided getting any rank in any martial art whatsoever. White belt only, zero. One of the most dangerous people that I've ever met. And, and his credibility comes from the fact that in 18 years in the police force, as a deputy sheriff, he's never had anybody get away from him, either on foot or in a car. He's never been injured in any engagement with anybody, um, even though he's done very heavy activity in dealing with the worst of humanity. And he's never had a, a, a use of force complaint filed against him by any of the people that he's handled. In my opinion, that is the most credible. That really is Aikido to me. He's dealt with violence professionally. He's not caused any excessive damage. He's always protected himself and he's exhibited control over somebody who did not want to have it and was actively attacking either him or other people. Now, there's no certificate that goes with that. There's no belt rank, but that's the pudding. And to me, as going back to the focus point, that is the pudding that I want to have for myself and have for my students. Um, and I, I like you, I, I would never want to try to contrive some sort of rank or credibility myself to, to put onto that, to appeal to people. But just to state it in a way that says, okay, what you do is what matters. What you are is and what you're capable of is what matters. Um, and that said, I, I would not, I do find a use for having uh, Q ranks because it gives students certain um, and instructors certain milestones they know they need to hit. It kind of reminds you that, okay, this is, there's some things in here that need to be added to the student's training by this next milestone. It kind of keeps you moving along. It's not to keep their attention. It's to make sure that their training is complete and, and you don't overlook things. Cause it's easy as an instructor to overlook something as you're, as you're going along. So that's what I find useful about the Q ranks. But, and I do believe that Shodan is a, is an important threshold to cross. It's like a coming of age uh, point in a martial artist development. Uh, but after that, I think Yudancha ranks are entirely political and they're actually toxic and poisonous to the art. But, yeah, the, um, uh, you know, I, I've heard of people getting their next dan by traveling to Japan, going to the Hombu. So mm -hmm. basically they've got the, 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 the tourist rank, if you like. Right, right. Uh, it's essentially what it is. You know, um, mm -hmm. Not everybody that goes to the Hombu oh, automatically sits down. I've never trained right. in my life. Yes, but you've been to the Hombu, so you must be a sister. It, yep. it, it, it's, it's irrelevant. It, mm -hmm. um, and I would always bring it back to that that proof is in the pudding. And mm -hmm. certainly when when I start teaching, and, and I will try try and test this new Aikido, which which we'll discuss the name in, in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I will try and test it with the Crab Magal people. I will, I will, I will go out, I will, will field test it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a judo club down the road, very, very good judo club. I want to take it there and just do a, a workshop with them, let, let them play with it. Because mm -hmm. these are the people that will go, 
rubbish. And you go, right, okay, gone. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and I would always bring it back to that, that almost pressure testing it. You could also call it, and I like the term pressure testing, although I think it's, it gets distorted of what it, it really is. Exactly. It's the reality check. It, it's a reality check for your art to say, am I in a delusional bubble world or am I actually yeah. doing real practical things? But, but you'll bang on the money with the Q grades because uh, you, you won't pressure test a, a Q grade the same way you would a downgrade. Right. That, that's, that's just wrong. And all that happens is mm -hmm. your Q grade gets beaten and doesn't come back again. And right. they're all despondent and they're thinking, oh, I'm rubbish. And this doesn't work, gets banded no, around no. again. Mm -hmm. um, um, so, so, yeah, the, the, that's how certainly how I would do a grading would be a pressure testing because mm -hmm. um, I, I believe everybody's Aikido should be individual because everybody mm -hmm. is individual. Everybody has different strengths, different reaches, yep. different ideas, brains. Body types. Yeah, exactly. So everybody's Aikido should be different. And, yeah, the, that, that amazing um, Enter the Dragon where there's 500,000 people all in white pajamas all doing exactly the same thing. Yep. Those days are gone. Yeah, yep. we, sh we should be focusing Thankfully, on Thankfully, they should be gone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we should be everybody's Aikido should be individual. So if you're going to go through a a choreographed list of techniques, mm -hmm. then some of those techniques are not applicable to this person. So how do you test? That's them? always bugged me that the 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 testing that seems like a recital. Here's your attack. Here's your defense. Go ahead and do it. Like uh, that doesn't. It, it's hollow. It seems even at the at, at its best. It's very hollow because there's no li aliveness to it. Spotting what is coming and adjusting appropriately is a huge deal. <laughs> you yeah. can't overlook that part. No, no, but but you don't need all of them. That's the thing. Right. Uh, when, when I teach the control control and restraint package for for police officers, okay, mm -hmm. in that there is nine wrist locks, arm locks, pain compliance techniques. Should we say? Um, so lower level stuff, the arresting techniques, the come with me, you know, in British mm -hmm. terms, come with me, you're nicked, Sunbeam. Um, uh, I teach all of them, but as a practitioner, how many do they need to know? One, maybe two. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that they like and work for them, and they're the two that they practice and they get slipped with. They don't need to know all of them. I need to know all of them as an instructor to show all of them. But they right. don't need this whole big tool bag full of, you know. You know, and that's something that's echoed in the in the, the sport realm. The, the top competitors that I've been exposed to and seen and studied, they've got two or three really, really sharp techniques. They don't have the massive library, you know, or they might, but they don't use them. They don't, they find success by being extraordinarily good at a few tools that work well for them. Whereas you go into the theoretical martial arts realm and people think I need to know all 1,538 techniques in the syllabus. And when I've memorized them and can, can recite each one, that means I'm a master martial artist, or that's when I've completed my, my art. And to me that, that strays into the academia kind of world where, okay, do you know which one you'd pick under you know given circumstance and go and they brain freeze because they're, they're a good librarian is about all 
Um, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the issue we, we had with um, certainly the, the British police firearms officers who have, you, you are walking tactical. You've got um, a handgun, a carbine, a taser, um, pepper CS, spray. Yeah, CS or pepper spray, cuff, empty hand skills. And, and sometimes you see them, they're doing Hungarian folk dancing where they're trying to figure out which of <laughs> tactical options to use. And by that time, someone's just rolled straight over them. Um, mm -hmm. Do you remember? I, I, I like a good story, especially if, it, if it's <laughs> made up rubbish. Um, <laughs> the, the fox and the cat. Do you remember this? Right. Uh, the fox and the cat are having a talk. Okay. And the fox says, I know 50 ways to get away from the dog. And the cat goes, I don't know one. I'm feeling a bit deficient. So the cat's feeling all, all dejected. The dogs rush over the hills. Cat runs up the tree. The dog, the fox, while it's trying to figure out which of its 50 ways to use, gets eaten. <laughs> and it is that there's too much going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, your, your, your brain goes into enough mush and mess in fight or flight, trying to yeah. get as much information as possible to decide whether you're going to fight or flight, fight or flight. Mm -hmm. um, to, to add more to that is, is always going to be a problem. So, well, so and, yeah, what I've found with most of the theoretical martial artists, they'll they'll get to the, whatever art they have, they usually have about 10% of the st stuff that is their bread and butter will save their butts in, in a stress situation. It's quick to learn, usually easy to apply, simple, direct, but it's not very sexy. So what they'll <laughs> do is they'll, they'll get bored with it pretty quickly they'll realize, well, this is pretty simple, pretty easy to do, but I want to do that flashy thing over there. And so they go and they go into a deep dive into the complicated, intricate, fussy, difficult to, to use, highly specialized, probably would never need it or be able to have the opportunity to use it. And that's where they spend most of their training time to the detriment of the bread and butter stuff. Yeah. The... And, uh they get together with each other. It's like, let me show you how big my repertoire is. I want to show you this, this and that cool thing, and have completely ignored the, the practicals. For a while, Ronda Rousey dominated the female UFC with basically two techniques. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that was just—I mean, she did them very, very well, and yep. she had a very solid judo background. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, two techniques. Yeah. Hip throw, armbar. Hip throw, armbar. Bang, 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 and it and it worked. Um, yep. And sometimes it took sometimes it took her 30 seconds <laughs> yeah um, she there's a girl that didn't need cardio wasn't it um <laughs> well and you know back when i was competing the, the the chess game really was i know my opponent enough to know what their two or three best things are i need to avoid those yeah. and, and be able to get to a position where i can apply the two or three things that i do really well that was the that was most of the game it wasn't my repertoire versus theirs it was my sharp tools versus their sharp tools and who's going to apply theirs first is usually yeah. the one who got it. And yeah. every sport fight I've seen has been pretty much the same way. You know, you know the strengths of a particular fighter and if they get to apply them, they're, they prevail. Yeah. The, but certainly getting back to the, the, the credence, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the lineage thing, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have a, a first stand in Aikido from a, um, an unregulated mm -hmm. 
organization they, they weren't involved with yeah they weren't with anybody else they were, they were their own um so my credence is not actually that good but what i want to do is go come and try it mm -hmm. yeah I, I want people to literally walk through the door and go this is what i do the the, right. the the reputation of aikido is awful i mean for 18 months or so my partner and i ran we owned and ran an mma gym mm -hmm. um, and when we were putting together what was going in there um we almost well we, we didn't we couldn't have aikido in there because we were wanting to attract MMA fighters, Muay Thai, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxers, all, all these people. And it, the minute you put Aikido in there, a lot of them would be turned off. We didn't put, bizarrely, for the same reason, we didn't put lightsaber combat in there because I said I didn't want these MMA fighters walking through the front door and seeing a load of geeks waving glow sticks around. Right, <laughs> right. Spinning around walking straight back out again. Um, because, yeah, we were starting from scratch. We needed the reputation. So mm -hmm. um, so we didn't put Aikido in there. We didn't put um, lightsaber combat. And, and it's really, it's really awful clumping them together like that because they're very, very different. Sure. But, um, yeah, we, we had Sambo. We had um, traditional Jiu-Jitsu, mm -hmm. um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, all these things that are not necessarily completely sport fighting but the, the tools are very very good mm -hmm. um, because the reputation of aikido precedes it and 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 it's such a shame it is such a shame you know i have hundreds of real world examples of aikido working in the real world mm -hmm. yeah so so many of them where, where I've, I've tried and tested them mm -hmm. what, what better attestation can you get for aikido that i've been right. out there done it you know um, and maybe maybe the credibility for that is going to come when somebody gets that on video and posts yeah. it and i know that there's been some some exposure for you know oh look this aikido method worked in a real world arrest or a, a real world fight and usually the the comment is well the, but that doesn't look like the the dojo aikido no. but it won't it's the principle applied. That's not that the choreographed part looks like the choreographed part. It will be rough and it will be different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah the, the, the real, real fights are messy. They are, they are absolutely uncoordinated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and certainly in, in the stress of real fight, you get skill degradation. You lose a lot of the skills that you have in the mm -hmm. dojo where it's all, all safe mm -hmm. and calm and happy. You go out there into the real world you've got the stress of it and also people don't come straight at you they come at funny angles right. um, and that really the the criteria is did it function did it do what it was designed to do and if it's yes then there you go it didn't it's not that it wasn't technically accurate enough or it wasn't pretty looking enough or it wasn't yeah. elegant like aikido is supposed to be or soft it's like no did it work um one thing i wanted to, to jump in with which was the I think the large, you made a comment about the large organizations because people do perceive that if you are have been granted rank by a large organization that it is somehow more credible than an independent. Mm -hmm. I've found, and when I when I resigned from the organization I was in, which was a small one, um, I examined like does my, should my dojo be part of an organization? Should it be part of a bigger one? Should I try to, you know, look at getting acceptance into a, into an organization for continued credibility um 
And what I found as I looked around was the politics within those organizations were absolutely horrendous. Um, they wound up being either some kind of cult of personality uh, or some kind of a revenue engine that was made for gaining a lot of students, getting dues paid every year. Uh, and there, the part that really disappointed me was the, the lack of attention on quality student skills, like building strong Aikidoka. None of them had any of it. Uh, they had everything else, which was usually, oh, you got to pay a shihan to come to a seminar and you got to pay a lot of money and you, you, you know, you need to give up your ability to test your own students, even at Q levels. You, you have to make a lot of sacrifices without really any benefit. And, and I would therefore say that for anybody, and I know you're not like this, but anybody listening, if you seem to think that it takes a large organization to establish credibility, you're headed the exact wrong direction. Um, only when you have a quality instructor that's focused on your development and making you a really good martial artist, will you find becoming a quality, having high quality skills, applicable skills. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, I've, the larger the organization is, the less attention there is on that because it's hard to deliver that. It's very, very hard. It's hard to deliver it to a student you're working with every week, much less one you only see once a year or maybe twice a year. You have no input whatsoever on their development. Um, and so uh, there, there's that and there's a number of things that make me think that organizations are, are kind of a large, especially large ones are a bad way to go. Um, and speaking of organizations, one of the things that this is very timely, our discussion, was I noticed just recently, like a, a two weeks ago or so, there was a letter uh, written about Mori Shihan's uh, decision to change his, uh, and I believe it was Yoshinkan Aikido Dojo to uh, Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. He dumped the Aikido name because he felt, at least this is what was explained in the letter, he felt that uh, the way that they train is more akin to Aiki Jiu-Jitsu than Aikido. Mm -hmm. And while I th think that was a politically neutral stance to take, the, the signal that somebody of his uh, reputation and uh, notoriety would leave behind the name of Aikido sent, was profound to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it, and it was an indication that the, the term Aikido was had a, too much of a bad reputation attached to it and one that he didn't want to have. And I've, I've only seen a little bit of, of the stuff that he does uh, in videos, but he, he appears to be a very effective, uh, uh, martially minded, like this has to be, has to work in a real situation kind of a guy. Um, and I respect that. I've got, I've got a high regard for that, but I see that his letter seems to indicate and I think this has probably happened numerous times in the past, although his was probably one of the biggest, a splintering of the Aikido community. It's it's fracturing right now. Um, and the, the drift away from reality into something else. And I wish I could even describe what it is, whether it's a pseudo-religion or a, a, a choreographed performance art or interpretive dance or whatever that is. And then the, the martial aspect are drifting farther and farther apart. And I think that that letter reflects the, the 
fractionalization and the the uh, the desire not to associate with the the uh, non-martial Aikido. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens in future, but I, I saw that as a pretty major, yeah. uh, pretty major indication. Uh, I mean, I'm the, the the name is is for marketing, really, isn't it? That, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's what we're looking at here. The right. um, uh, and I'm still kicking a few things around, but um, with with Ellis's help, because he's like Yoda. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he he suggested using the, the phrase Jison Aikido, Jison meaning practical, relevant, um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, you'd have to get him on to translate it properly. Sure, sure. Well, sure. Alice yeah. is another legend of, of credibility. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, absolutely, um, which is why yeah. I reached out to him and said, help, I need, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going down this route. And But, but I mean, yeah, it, literally... You just need something to separate this from all the other Aikido. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here in the UK, I couldn't quite easily call it Camelot Aikido because, you know, why not? But sure. it, it, it's, it's, it's almost irrelevant. But we for branding and marketing so that right. people understand this is not this Aikido. This is right. this Aikido. And, and I wanted to touch on that, too, because you've got it absolutely right. In marketing may sound to people like like well that's what all you're doing is selling yourself really what you're doing with marketing is providing clarity you're yeah. trying to paint a very clear picture of what people should expect when they come to you so you attract the people that you want to attract mm -hmm. that you get the message to them and the the part about aikido that that is frustrating from a marketing standpoint is when you ask people what aikido is and you cannot get a clear answer yeah. it's it's like 20 minutes of weird word salad that and it doesn't match even from one person to the next but even the collect sort of the collective image is unclear and i don't care what business you're in if you're selling food or you're peddling products if people don't know what it is they won't be interested well, and when we were kids there was coke mm -hmm. then came diet coke Mm -hmm. and we know the difference right. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's clear diet aikido there you go we've, right. we've, we've, sort, we've sorted it <laughs> i like it <laughs> uh yeah it's it's aikido without the sugar right um, um but, but that, that's what it is it's just this i i i don't want to lose the word aikido because i have I have a 30 year year love hate relationship with it um yeah and, and i'm invested in into that um and you know people know me for for aikido the, the uh, police officers i train they mm -hmm. they come to me like oh show me some of that and, and and sometimes i feel like um in june the weirding ways you know all right so, yeah. weirding ways of yeah, and yeah. they look and they look at you like you're a wizard he's like wow yeah. what have you, you just know, done it's um, funny that that I sat down with my students and and my colleague friend and we had this very discussion just last week. I, uh, not again, but I had it with them for the first time. But I've this is thought process has come to me several times in the last decade or so. Of do I change the name? Is the other influences that I brought in to combine and make my aikido more well rounded? Has it taken it away from being what should be called aikido? And uh, and it, we came to the consensus that. The, we 
we just don't want to give up on the name Aikido. We don't want to let it be sacrificed to the 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 woo woo crowd and the you know the guys that weigh four hundred pounds that stagger around and are waving their hands and having people flip over in front of them that sort of thing. Um, it we we would like to be a part of those that represent the quality part of the, the art, the heritage that it had of martial integrity. And, um, you know, to, to take on the name Aiki Jiu-Jitsu might be more clear, but it might not. Um, but I, we all agreed that I think there's not enough advantage to change it uh, in order to make that separation. We still, we still, our hearts are with proving that Aikido is a quality martial art that fits in the civilian realm better than anything else uh, was still everybody's interest. And, uh, but I think it's one of those things like this discussion is good to have that review. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Is it still fit? Because maybe in four or five years, we'll have this conversation again and it will change because the world is changing. The, the community is shifting. The com you know, things always change. So revisiting it, and making sure you're on focus and on point to what you want to do, I think is really important. Um, and, but for the, yeah, for the time being, you know, and who knows what, what the Aikido organization landscape, I'm out of it as a, as an independent. So I, it really doesn't affect me at all. No, I, I remain independent. I, I have, um, an organization I belong to, the British Combat Association, which was started by Jeff Thompson and Pete Constantine, who are both mm -hmm. legends. I mean, absolutely legends. And um, I can pick up the phone and speak to Peter at any time about anything. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been with them for years and I will stay with them. They, they, they support everything I do, including mm -hmm. waving lifesavers around, believe it or not. They were right behind me on that. Um, but the, 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 you know, I, I believe in in giving giving people choice, diverse choice. So if you want to, um, and I'm quoting you here, if anybody tries to sue, do the samurai cosplay Aikido, mm -hmm. then fine, go and do that. Um, but if you want to learn a scalable self-defense system, which is an art form, it's not a quick fix, it's an art form, We'll train for, for a lot, you know, tra training will continue for years and years. Then they need to have that option as well. So so mm -hmm. what I want to do is give people the, the options. Um, and certainly you you would have had this where, where um, people come to you and say, I want to do a martial art. Mm -hmm. and you go, well, what do you want from it? Do you want self-defense? Do you want sport? Do you want to get fit? Do you want to just, you know, train a few times a week with some really nice people and have a nice social life what do you want from it and that kind of steers them towards which one they're going to do doesn't it mm -hmm, um, absolutely um so, so i i just want to give people a, another option or people to come and try it and and i hate the word try by the way try allows mm -hmm. to fail um sure. yeah um but, but i want just something else um and, and i think i <clears throat> through the um, mixed martial arts gym, yeah, it's not a good time in the, in the UK to be opening gyms, running gyms. Um, the cost of everything's gone up. People mm -hmm. can't afford the memberships. Um, you know, um, we, we had issues with it, so so I'm not looking to make a career 
out of out, out of the Aikido. I, I, I have several careers running at the moment. Sure. Um, uh, I, I, I almost want to do it as a hobby mm -hmm. for me and to give something back to other people. And at the end of the day, if, if it all it turns out to be is people get together to train, have a good time, good social life, good, you know, good bunch of lifelong friends we make, and are making people more confident in themselves, mm -hmm. that's a win isn't it? Mm -hmm. that, Absolutely. That's a total win. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, over the years of teaching martial arts, I look back and go, oh, I've created a few monsters, actually. Um, and it's not necessarily that they're out there pulling people's arms and legs off, but uh, people who have got confidence. Um, yeah, I, I, I trained a guy who's um, he, he was basically being bullied by his boss. And mm -hmm. through his martial art training, he got more confident and he stood up to his boss. Nice. Oh, no, what's he going to do next? You know, it's one of those things. But I gave him the confidence, not necessarily to <clears throat> go and fight his boss, mm -hmm. but confidence to walk, to walk up to him. Yep. Um, and certainly when, when you look at uh, pretty much any martial art that then transposes to the uh, law enforcement or security world, I got into a lot less problems because I had the confidence to walk up to people confidently. So I didn't mm -hmm. have the oh he's got to kick off um yep. and that diffused the situation yeah um mm -hmm. certainly when i was working well I, I had 50 venues in brighton that i looked after all with door supervisors in some had 25 some had one some you know different scales um and they would call me when it was all going wrong and i would mm -hmm. turn up and sort it out and they was like you're like some sort of jedi uh, Little did they know. <laughs> I think that's how real confidence comes across to people. Yeah. It, it seems like a magical power. Whereas false confidence is not very useful, very dangerous, but it it's that real confidence that that will <clears throat> only through real good train real training done well, building solid skills, do you get that actual applicable confidence that will have that kind of an impact. Um, now I, I know just to jump track a, <clears throat> a little bit, cause we talked about this in our previous discussion is <clears throat> you've contemplated not only ditching wearing Hakama, which, which I've done long ago, just because yeah. it, once I dug into it, I realized it made no sense, no practical application. In fact, it's the opposite, except for people that would wear a garment like that normally, which would usually be women in a dress. Like, okay, if you're going to defend yourself while wearing a dress, Absolutely. Hakama would be a, a good analogy, you know, to wear. But you were also talking about ditching the gi and going just with, you know, maybe you could talk about that a little bit, your thought process. I have yet to, to be attacked wearing, wearing thick pajamas. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have the, the, the final nail in the coffin for the Hakama, again, was was Ellis explaining what they are. Yeah, they're, they're, they're riding jumpers. They're, they're yep. to stop bits falling out when you jump on a horse. And like, yeah, okay, got it now. Right. Um, and and he he's brilliant at just stripping stripping away the bullshit. Yeah. And there's a lot to strip away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so it's like, okay, I've, I've never been a been a big fan of the uh, the, the huge trousers as we call them over yep. here. Um, no. Oh, they look great, but not practical <laughs> no no um uh and there are second pair of trousers as well because you've got mm -hmm. a pair of trousers on underneath the, the hack mm -hmm. so, right <laughs> um but then the 
the gi is i know it's traditional it's, a, it's an outfit you wear for this activity mm -hmm. but it's not a necessary outfit mm -hmm. um uh, I, I used to rock the the, the police training world because historically police officers would turn up in in pt kit mm -hmm. yeah well that's not what you wear when you're out on the street you wear a uniform you wear body armor you wear a hat you wear you know, all, all these things this is what you should be training in mm -hmm. um and again, it's something I've, I've ripped from the, the Krav Maga world. So, you know, they, they don't train, well, actually some do these days, but, um, but they don't train in geese. They train in, in, in what they wear on, you know, you go mm -hmm. train with the IDF, they train in what they wear operationally. So they're kind mm -hmm. of gearing for it. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm much more along the lines of training in T-shirts, sweatshirts, jogging pants, maybe, just, mm -hmm. just to make the ease of training. But mm -hmm. there will be times when I say, right, next week I want jeans, boots, I want a hoodie, I want mm -hmm. a anorak with a rucksack on the back. Sure. Um, because that's how you are out on the street. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, someone gets hold of your hood, <laughs> you, know, yep. you, you are being pulled out. And this is something that you, you've got to practice to learn to deal with because that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but, but also the constraints of... Um, clothing and things, you know, certain things like that. Um, it's something that you need to train for. If you want your art to be transposable to the real world, you have to train for the real world. Mm -hmm. um, and that was my only thinking. Um, you, you get a brand new person turn up to train in your Aikido class. They tend not to turn up in a gi anyway, do they? They tend to turn right. up in So why do we then? I, I tell them just like workout pants and a sturdy shirt and there you go yeah so so, i know for for us um i've kept the gi mostly because it's durable I, and I, we're also in a northern climate so about six months out of the year people are wearing jackets and and whatnot anyway yeah. just to get used to the grabs but uh i've also got a box of uh i got old hockey jerseys to kind of simulate like what a hoodie would be yeah. or, or what it's like to grab a loose garment rather than you know a tighter you know, I, the, one of the things about some of the jujitsu and judo is that it becomes a very grip specific art, which is very specific to the garment that your opponent's wearing. So varying up t-shirts to jerseys, to hoodies, to, to geese or jackets. I mean, all of that stuff is in the, in the variety and the same would go for pants, you know, grabbing somebody with, you know, with basketball shorts on versus like jeans or, you know, whatever kind of pants that because yeah. you can grab a pant leg as easily as you can grab an ankle or, or what have you so those that comes into play but yeah i, I liked where you were you were going with that just re-examine everything and just look at it and say is this serving me or is can i do it better can it be done better uh and the wrist grabs have gone in my mind mm-hmm the whole wrist grabs and certainly probably like you i watch some of the aikido videos and someone grabs your wrist and doesn't let go no matter what you do to them you right. drag them around by the fact they've got hold of your wrist yeah um, they just let go if i pulled you over here and you had my wrist you just let go yeah um, if it comes to the point where your body knows it will fall on the ground or or keep holding on everybody will let go like just everybody, unless they've been reprogrammed to flip over a role rather than let go, which I I, I think uh, I mean uh, obviously when um, Yushiba was training Aikido, 
there, there was the nod back to sword culture. Okay, mm-hmm. if you grab someone's wrist, they can't draw their sword. That that is where I think it came from. The, the wrist grabs. By the way, there's a parallel to that. There's a lot of videos where you see somebody grabbing for a police officer's gun. Like yeah. they, go, they put their hand on it or they grab for it and the, and the cop tries to hold his gun in his holster to keep them from drawing it. So yeah. to me, that's yeah. a modern yeah. analogy. We, we I, I used to train weapon retention. Um, mm-hmm. mostly it's a real thing. Holstered out and, and out because, um, yeah, but, um, I, I, told, I told you before, the uh, I had handgun out. And a guy came to grab the gun. He wasn't armed, so under British law, I did, I couldn't put nine mil holes in him. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually did an Rimanagi with a Glock in my hand. Mm-hmm. The Glock went over his shoulder, both put him down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that that's just a prime example of Aikido working in a real world situation. Um, Absolutely. Last thing I wanted to do was was look down to to find my holster to put him. And you shouldn't <laughs> look down anyway. You should know where it is. Um, yeah. What was I saying? I've gone completely lost. The, oh, the wrist grabs. Mm-hmm. The wrist grabs are very useful for raw beginners to train the mm-hmm. movements. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they've got those movements, then you, you transpose the wrist grab for a moving hand, a punch, or a, a grab for something more relevant, like, a, you know, um, Around here, throat, grab, grab, grab. The only wrist grab I've ever seen is when someone's hand's been up and someone's grabbed that. So they're up right. here and someone's The grabbed. one that most Aikido never even addresses. Yeah. This is where to stop me hitting you with this hand, you grab that hand. That That's mm-hmm. the only one I've ever seen in, 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 out there in the world. In live um, fire? Yeah. The holding your hand out for someone to grab. No, no. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I, I have seen... The defenses from wrist grabs being trained in in self defense seminars. Mm. Someone grabs your wrist. That's not the attack. Yeah, you know? right. and no. you just go get off, you weirdo. You just drag your hand back. And um, mm. but actually, training techniques to undo wrist grabs and uh, they call them breakaways now, don't they? But yeah. um, nobody does that. Nobody mm. grabs your wrist because because it's down here. It, yeah. No. Um, Two hands grabbing your lapels, yeah, that mm-hmm. that's a realistic grab. But but yeah, the wrist grabs will will be for very, very new people just to learn the movements, just to learn the body positioning and the movements. That that that's it, and then off gone. Never to yep. be seen again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The uh and the one of the ones that, that I started modifying was uh and I just call this the hockey grab because we often Get to the point where if I go to grab grab uh, Nage, you know, you settle in with a nice, polite little, just grab the garment. You don't want to get any, you know, hair, or skin, or anything under there, and it's sort of a settle in deal. It's like if you get grabbed for real, it's going to be paw comes on and you know, like a punch and clutch. And even adding that modification in starts to get students used to having an active, powerful grab on them. And like you said, whether it's double or single, that's a pretty common one in a fight is to grab a hold of the garment and now you start pounding. But, but that's not the thing to worry about, is it? The hand yeah. that grabs you is not the one to worry about. It's the other one that hasn't. The yeah, other one is you got big trouble coming. Exactly. Um, but to add those, it's still a grab, but you're adding a layer of, re- of reality to what somebody's likely to yeah. uh, encounter. 
and to not be shocked by it. Like this happens every, every, you know, three times a week to me, you oh, know, yeah. you, you power, power grab. And it's like, okay, I know how to respond. Um, so, and what I've found too, is that, you know, for those people that might be thinking, well, the way I, I train Aikido now, the contemporary method of doing it, I like it. It's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. Um, that doesn't sound like fun getting powerful grab like that and, and getting manhandled around. I can tell you that with new students and even students I had over the years that we were transitioning to, they had more fun doing that kind of thing than something that to them appeared to be sort of sterile and kind of fake and shallow. They enjoy, wow, I can deal with this. You know, they feel empowered. I get students laughing quite a bit when, especially when you do a technique to them where they, where they, don't realize how easy it is to take them down or knock them over or get a, 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 a superior position on them. And then when they, they do it themselves, they kind of laugh like, I can, okay, I like this. This is showing me I can face, you know, a tangible terror and fear, but I know what to do. I know how to execute it. Um, you know, students always start out kind of rough with it, but as they hammer it out and it gets smoother and more effective and more uh, efficient, they, they, it's an, a very enjoyable experience. And I think going forward, the martial arts up through, you know, the seventies and eighties, martial art training was well known for being grueling, tedious, frustrating. Um, you were often getting yelled at, berated. It was not a pleasurable experience, but by God, you stuck with it because that was going to make you strong. I think the culture now of people, when they take on an activity that they weren't going to dedicate hours of their week to, they want something that is going to be productive for them, that's going to be enjoyable um, and meaningful to them. And I think martial art training absolutely can be that because I've seen it do that. It's that should be the expectation. If you're an instructor, you have a duty if you're going to keep students to make it so when they walk out the door they're like wow i that was great and i want to come back that was a good use of my time i feel much better i feel more confident like that's that should be the experience um and but that's just kind of my take on it totally we we have to remember this is their hobby Mm -hmm. yeah this is their 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 spare time that they're dedicating to you know, and unless you're training um, a military unit, a police unit, a security, this is their hobby. This is their what they do in their spare time. So it has to be enjoyable. The chances of them having to do this in the real world are, are not not high. There, right. there is a chance, um, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's a hobby. It's a pastime. It should be enjoyable. Certainly, mm-hmm. when, when I went through martial arts as a kid yeah uh, abuse probably <laughs> you um, almost expected it like you were you wanted the drill the arley army drill sergeant screaming yeah. at you calling you you know a wimp and a you know whatever you know berating you to try to motivate you to become powerful i, I, remember, I don't think that model is very applicable anymore no no it's not it's not at all i, I remember being yeah, if, if we were late for class, and when I say late for class, if you weren't on the mat warming up when Sensei stepped on the mat, you were deemed late. You were mm-hmm. kneeling, watching the in Caesar, watching the class till the mm-hmm. legs died, or skipping for the for the hour and a half. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, if we if we did that, we'd never see people again. They'd be gone. Right. Um, my jujitsu instructor used to hit us with a shin eye if we were 
foot out of place, whack. Had that happen, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it was standard practice, which, which you know, if we did it these days, we'd be we'd be reported for, sure. for someone. We'd be we'd be speaking to to people about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I I think the culture. I I think most Aikido students and practitioners would say, yeah, that's nowhere near what my dojo is, and of course it's not. Yeah, no. I think the other culture part that needs to be taken down is the uh, the serene guru image of the instructor who is the you know the that the the peaceful warrior who who must be uh revered and worshipped yeah. um that's the one that that i i see is pretty uh toxic in the and common in the aikido world yeah. is your instructor is is to be um revered to the point of of uh like almost a godlike sort of status and i think that the distortion that happens there and this is where people like, uh, what was it, uh, Dillman um, got so used to being worshipped and have his students do whatever he sug merely suggested by words that he got into that no-touch knockout nonsense. Yeah. And I think we've seen that with no-touch throws. That is where too much reverence yeah. goes. If it, it's the you know the, the naked emperor that's walking around with his new yeah. clothes, he was like, wow, look at these threads. If you play into that and and you lose the honesty and the integrity of saying, you know, this needs to be tested. And I, I tell you what, I, I make this total confession. I have felt it myself personally. Um, I was at a, a seminar of a well-known Shihan, and I won't name him. Um, and I got brought up to be okay for a demonstration at this seminar. And I've, I felt the social pressure like, okay, I need to be a good okay for him. And he was showing his typical curriculum, which is these little bitty wrist turns, you know, with the internal mo motion with his center and everything, expecting me to just flip over and roll. And it, I was, I grabbed him with, you know, with intensity, but his motions were so small that they just didn't move me. And it wasn't like I was trying to be a jerk, but I suddenly felt like, oh my God, I'm making him look bad. Yeah. I don't want to piss him off. I don't want everybody to look at this and go and question him, you know? And so I started to do exactly what he expected, which is these roles. And it was like, I came away from that. My drive home was me contemplating what did, what just happened? Was I, was me doing that serving the art or was it serving him? Or was it serving the, the, the energy of of the of the acolytes that are like oh you know shihan you're you're so amazing doing these things and i'm just like it wasn't amazing it was it was a, a contrived illusion that i took active part in and i that's one of the that's one of the last seminars i went to because i felt so wrong for participating in it now but I, but I, I still feel like I did not want to insult the Shihan. I didn't want to insult the students. I didn't want to break the the magic expectation. My my conclusion was it's that magic expectation that was wrong. I didn't know exactly who to blame to, for causing it, uh, and I don't care. But I didn't want to participate in that. I want to participate in training against somebody that's trying to take my head off and being effectively able to handle them. But it should or be, having to hurt them if, if possible. It, it should be tested 
the, yeah. you know, the instructor should be questioned and tested and poked and prodded and you know, mm -hmm. um, and certainly I've always encouraged people to go oh that that won't work so you go well come here and I will show you to prove right. it, you know, um, I, I'm not religious in any way shape or form but but Jesus actually said you should be questioning your religion you know and, mm -hmm. and that, that's coming from the, the bloke who started it pretty much right. <laughs> <laughs> um but but it should be we, we should be questioning these things we should be testing these things and if you if you were at school and you didn't understand something you'd go uh, how why what you, you'd want no. to understand um learning styles yeah, mm -hmm. activists, pragmatists, theorists, and reflectors. Two of those need to know how it works. Mm -hmm. So they, they need to come to you and go, I don't, show me, prove, prove, prove a point. I need to dismantle it and put it back together to understand mm -hmm. it. So you should be being tested. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and if something really doesn't work, you should have the, the, go, right, oh, yeah, you're right, actually, that's rubbish mm -hmm. in that scenario. Um, I had, well, well um, training out in Libya. Um, I was teaching unarmed combat, essentially. Krav Maga, couldn't call it Krav Maga because it's Hebrew, and that's an Arab country. They, they, it, does, it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but I, ended, I, was, I was teaching an awful lot of Aikido to the Libyan protection teams. Now, I, uh, it's a bit of a strange place. The, the, a lot of the police and military are also in a militia. Um, mm. And funny enough, it was Kotageyashi. I was just showing them the, the, the intricacies, the, you know, the, the finger, get, get mm. that. That's a lot better. And, and this guy went all on me. So I was like, fair enough. So I took his balance and took him down with, yeah, with a bit of piss and vinegar behind it, should we say. Sure. Um, and he stormed off. And everyone went, oh, he's one of the militia leaders. And I'm thinking, oh, no, we're going to get murdered now. <laughs> <laughs> but he came back and just nodded, shook my hand, gave me a hug, and went, good, 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 good. So I was like, um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, the idea behind it was I was demonstrating that, that if you've never been in that world where you, you know, a, a demonstration, I'm demonstrating, so just relax, just relax. Mm -hmm. you, you don't know you're supposed to do it, <laughs> right? Um, the situation, so I, I, I proved a point to him, and he came yep. back and, um, once he'd mended his wrist, and um, yeah, he came back and, and just said, Yeah, good, 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 and trained on, but. But the, I, I believe these things should be tested. Instructors should yeah. be tested. And, and that's that's the thing, too. You know, I, I've noticed over the years when new students come in, they'll usually have a bit of curiosity. They, you know, they're, they're interested in the art, but they don't know everything about it or enough. And they will want to test it. Like, in their mind, they're thinking, all right, I'd like to see what this does against a, a good, solid, whatever it is, a grip, a tack, a punch. Um, show me show me what that is and a lot of times i've seen aikido instructors and students say you have to change your attitude don't don't be that active or don't provide this resistance or try to be clever or try to you know fight out of it that's not what we do in my opinion that's the wrong message those though that attitude should be right at the center of of the that's the that's where the integrity is of your art is all right try a spirited attack try grabbing me try to adjust try to my art needs to work to to deal with that and i and i came upon that um about midway through my the my q experience somewhere around purple belt i realized oh well i don't there's some ukes i don't like dealing with because they're complex 
And I, it suddenly dawned on me like a light bulb. I need to be able to deal with complex. Like, give me complexity. Throw, yeah. Jack my technique up. Start ruining it so I know how to shore it up so that I can handle somebody that's unpredictable, that's trying to be evasive, that's trying to be resistant. I should be able to cover all that. I want to cover all that. That, that was where my ambition came out, even though, because in the early Q ranks, you're still trying to sort out fundamentals. You're not ready for those variables yet. And, but you get to a point where, okay, those are starting to fit together and make sense. And now you start feeling, oh yeah, if I get a simple, okay, I can really, this feels great to do, but that's the choreography part. Yes, yeah. I could have, I could have diverted and just said, I, I want to be really good at the choreography. Don't give me the complexity. I just want to be super smooth and elegant. And, and that seems to be where a lot of the ambition of Aikido training tends to head to, but I wanted that throw me chaos i want to i want to deal with yeah. everything you can think of and be creative as possible because you need to push my boundaries and i found that as i did that more my boundaries got farther and farther out like my comfort zone got bigger and so that's what made me feel good as a as a student and as a developing martial artist in i in in this hand-to-hand -hand realm was i want to build my comfort zone to be as big as possible and you're not going to surprise me with anything. I think, I think Stephen summed it up really well. And I, I, I love his attitude and, and the way he trains that. If he's having problems with something, he will get hit in the face four or five times until he, he, he sorts it out. And, mm -hmm. and that sort of training is amazing. It's brilliant. In fact, absolutely. In, the, in this country, that's why the Romans built a wall to keep that lot up there. <laughs> <laughs> That is exactly why, because of that attitude. Um, yep. um, um, but, but that is exactly what it should be. I, I don't know how to deal with this. Do it again. Right. Do it again. Yep. Do it again. Right, I've got it now. And, um, and, and you work through these things. Mm -hmm. That's exactly Absolutely. What you know, and, and the one thing about the culture that I would change, and this comes back to that, that sacred guru thing, uh, of if you run into something like that, Rather than having the culture of a group go, oh, sacred guru, what do we do when this happens? You have a, okay, instructor, come over here. Let's let's get our heads together and, and break down what's going on here and how to fix it. And have everybody provide their input and value them. To me, that's a, a, a more healthy way yeah. of building those bonds between all the practitioners to say, okay, I know you have a ton of experience and I want to hear what you have to say, but I want to hear what this other person has to say. I, I want to hear different interpretations, not just one viewpoint. Um, cause that one viewpoint is the bottleneck, right? Yeah. Um, you, I like opening it up and hearing all kinds of different things. I'll give up my, what I thought was the best thing. If I find somebody else has got something even better, like, all right, bring that in. Love it. Um, well, I've discovered over the years of, of <laughs> practicing Aikido on, on poor innocent members of the public, um, mm -hmm. they're not trained ukis. Right. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They, they've, they've never been in done, done a class. Um, I remember one specific time, um, a guy grabbed me, he was going to throw a punch, and I got a very nice ikio on, and his face contorted in pain, and he stayed right there. Mm -hmm. And then I realized he doesn't know he's supposed to go down. Right. So yep. I just got him down at him, gave him a direct mm -hmm. order, boof, he went down. So you've got you've then got two control features. Yep. You've got the vocal and the um the physical. Right. 
and it's just something that the brain's like, he doesn't know. He hasn't been to class. He doesn't you know. know it's it's funny you mentioned that. I had almost exactly the same thing years ago. I had somebody say, Oh, you do this Aikido thing. What 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 is it? And I said, Well, it's a martial art that uses, you know, throws and joint locks. And he's like, What's a joint lock? He had no idea. So I said, Well, give me your hand. And he held it out and I did exactly the same thing. I got it into a Nikyo. And rather than moving, he's just like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> had no idea that a joint could be locked or what to do if it did get locked or if he felt, you know, pain in it, what to do. Uh, most people, the instinctive is to move away from the pain. And that, that's what we use to control them. We, we use their natural instinct to move mm -hmm. away from the pain, which is, but not everybody, not everybody. Right. Does it. And then you've got to start adding things like um, drink, drugs, mental illness. Um, mm -hmm. People don't feel the pain. They don't, register the pain that you um there was a, a guy i dealt with years and years ago who was on uh, pcp angel dust um and he was just randomly punching people on a pedestrian precinct wow. um and um yeah he wasn't backing off uh, and in those days we had the the chomfa side handle baton pr24 um and i i smacked him about the legs a lot hard and he wasn't even flinching Wow. Uh, okay. So yeah, I, I went uh, literally back and went across his throat, choked him out. Both. Uh, I don't care how mad, crazy, or drugged up you are. Um, you cut the oxygen off to the brain. You go to sleep. Uh, yeah, that's uh, true. Get physiological on, on him. Um, but it was it was horrific at the time because he wasn't not he just wasn't aware of it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Long story short, it turned out someone had spiked his drink when he came down and got wheelchaired out, out of the custody block in the morning with his legs mm. in bits. Nicest guy on the planet. Re uh, another one of these things, it, it was just he'd taken something that he wasn't aware of and it affected sure. him badly. And he was horrified with his actions. But, wow. but, but it's one of those situations where, hang on a minute, this is what happens in training. They normally fall down now. Um, but... Um, but yeah, it just wasn't happening. So yeah. And if that's the description of martial arts is dealing with the unexpected. Training for failure, I think. Tra yeah, training for failure, being having your training prepare you for as much as possible and and opening it up that way to, and looking at it that way. Like you might have to do ridiculous things that you never thought you would ever have to do, but you might have to do them. But, so. but also the training for failure, especially yep. with with the wrist locks and joint locks and the pain compliance techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. they, they have a high failure rate, especially mm -hmm. under the stress of of combat. Your your body makes its own painkiller. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's one of the hundred and fifty two chemical changes that go on in fight or flight. It makes its own painkiller. You're not going to feel the lock like it mm -hmm. should do. So you mm -hmm. have to train something else. Something else. Absolutely. And well, this has been a great discussion. I hate to hate to cut it, but I just realized we've been going an hour forty minutes. And if, this, if our last discussion was anything indicative, we could go on for more hours with it. And, and I'd like to love to have you back on the on the podcast to keep chatting. And um, you're just so interesting to talk to, and I've got such great things to to share with everybody. Uh, is there anything you'd like to to say to wrap kind of wrap things up? Yeah, I just want to thank you actually. For, for putting this together, this podcast. Um, I, I've been through them all, yeah? Uh, mm -hmm. And at one point, I felt strangely stalkerish because I was 
messaging you on Facebook Messenger whilst listening to you on a podcast. And I thought it's mm -hmm. getting a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but 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 you've become almost like a chairman, should we say? And you're gathering people together, me, me included. And you have some mm -hmm. great people, and everybody who comes on your podcast has had something really valid, valid points to put across. And um, I, I have an, a, a notebook. I actually. <clears throat> For my birthday, I got a lovely leather-bound notebook, and that is my notebook for what what I'm making my Aikido into. Mm. And I listen to the podcast, and I open the notebook, and I write stuff down. And, uh, nice. and it is full of quotes from you, from your mm. guests, and, and and it's. I think I said before, I, I'm I'm seeing myself as a, a Robin Hood of Aikido. I'm mm -hmm. stealing from everybody, and just stealing. Yep. Yeah, like that, like that, like that, like that, and and then I will give that to the poor. Sure. Well, I, I th thank you very much for saying it's it's great to hear to have the impact that I do, and I'll I'll just share this for my listeners. Um, I I put a lot of content out, and I hear back occasionally from people, but most of it is transmission that goes one way. So it's it's really wonderful and heartwarming to hear feedback and to get contact. I like being contacted by listeners or people that have comments or would like to ask a question or, you know, I love this. The martial arts are my passion. Mm -hmm. And so I love sharing my passion. I love people like you that share their passion with me. Um, it's, uh, it's heartwarming to see that there's, there's some redemption with Aikido and it's cool to be a part of that. I don't view myself as any kind of chairman, but it, it, I do appreciate the compliment. But if I can at least facilitate gathering those people together of like mind so we can share with each other, like that to me has great value and, and could be uh, where at least a portion of Aikido's future can be in a positive way, uh, grow in a positive way. Um, and I, I would love to be uh, the reason that's the reason I put this together and I'm trying to gather us together. So um you know, it's been great having you on the channel. By the way, I love the idea, especially that as you're putting this together, you have such a strong real world background. Um, I think Aikido needs that. It's, it is absolutely crucial and it won't survive without people like you who can be the reality check to say, this does work. I've used this in real life repeatedly and here I, and I know better. I know what does and what does not function. Um, I think that that's that is the most important influence that Aikido can have going forward if it's going to be a practical art for civilians, violence professionals, you know, security police, all of that sort of thing that has to come from people, credible people like you from the field. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not the only one you've got, um, Matt. Oh, no, there's plenty, plenty yeah. more. Yeah, I, I, I would love for a time where, where we can we can all meet up. Oh, that'd be fantastic. We'll meet up somewhere um, and and run workshops and seminars. And mm -hmm. I don't like the phrase seminar. I've never liked it. I prefer workshop. No. Um, I prefer workshop too. Yeah. Because it means you're, you're, I'm, yeah, if it's a seminar, I'm showing you stuff and you do it. If it's a workshop. Right. We're all, the sacred guru problem. <laughs> yeah, we're, all, we're all working through this. We're all like, oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, stop everyone. He's done something really good. Both. Um, so it's right. not all about, but yeah, if it'd be great, if we could all meet up and then go and invade a small country. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty out there yeah. <laughs> that are ripe for the picking. 
Um, well, cool. Thank you very much, John. It's been Thank great you. having you on. I'm looking forward to other discussions just because the two times we've talked now, I've just enjoyed them immensely. And I think everybody else will too. Um, for those listening, please drop a comment if you uh, have questions for John and I or, or for John or would like to see him back or things you'd like us to talk about um, or even suggestions for other guests or topics you'd like me to find a guest to discuss. Um, love to hear back on, on what you think. So um, thank you again, John. It was great having you on today. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, everybody. And until the next episode, uh, go enjoy your training. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.